Uh, I'm Harold Kim, one of the pastors here at Christ Central. If you have your Bibles, we're also going to project it overhead. John chapter 14, verse 6. Just one verse, and then we're going to look at some other passages as well. Okay, let's just start with this one verse. John chapter 14, verse 6. Okay, Jesus said to him, Thomas, his disciple, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, this is God's word so far. You know, in this day and age, of course, we celebrate multi-everything. That's a glorious good thing by God's design. The kingdom of heaven will have people represented from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Diversity is exhibiting the splendor of God's artistry and, and love and goodness for the world. So we celebrate multi-ethnicity, we celebrate multiculturalism, we celebrate multi-almost everything. So why not multi-religious? I mean, so what's the problem with multi-religious? And one of the most consistent, thoughtful questions I've heard and continue to hear is how can there be one true religion I can't believe there's only one way to God in heaven. One of the most consistent, thoughtful questions and objections I hear is how can there only be one true religion? So according to Oprah Winfrey, her answer goes like this. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Now, Oprah Winfrey, I think, captures a very popular spirit, possibly the dominant cultural answer in the U.S. of A to this question. Is there one true religion? Oprah's answer. The biggest mistake we could make is to say there's only one way. There's many diverse paths to God if you do believe in God. But I do want you to take well note that in that answer, in that very popular answer, and if you haven't heard it outright yet from people who have thoughtful questions about the exclusivity of Christian faith, there is a bedrock assumption in that answer. There is like a bulwark, a fortress, okay? There's an assumption that Oprah Winfrey and many people make by giving the answer, oh, there must be multiple ways. And it goes like this that it must be narrow-minded and arrogant to claim a one-way or exclusive religious truth. I've heard it outright leveled it towards me that, Pastor, you must be narrow-minded and arrogant <clears throat> to preach and to propagate a religion that claims exclusivity, one way, one truth. Now, is it? Is it narrow-minded and arrogant? A pastor by the name of Timothy Keller in a book entitled The Reason for God in an opening chapter tells a story of a philosophy professor at Notre Dame by the name of Alvin Plantinga, a world-class top-notch philosopher, and he has been told and he has been asked in this way, Dr. Plantinga, if you were born in Morocco, you wouldn't even be a Christian but rather a Muslim. So the question or objection leveled against this philosophy professor is, who happens to be a Christian, if you were born in Morocco, you would not be a Christian, you'd be a Muslim. Meaning, 
religion is culturally and socially constructed. You're only a Christian because you were born in that geography or time and, uh, time and place. You're only a Christian because you were educated that way. Do you know what Planiga's comeback was? His comeback goes like this. Well, if you were born in Morocco, you wouldn't be a pluralist, a secular relativist. Now, see, the philosophy professor's comeback is namely this. You wouldn't even ask this question. How can there be one true religion? You wouldn't even answer... You would not ask this question if you had been born elsewhere and if you had not received a Western education. Because much of the world has no problems believing in exclusive truth. If you are going to say that someone else's religious beliefs, like a Christian's, must be because you were born that way, must be because culturally and socially constructed that way, And then you turn around and say, well, but my religious beliefs that always or multiple ways lead to God, you can't turn around and excuse that your view alone is open-minded and objective, that your view alone hasn't also been culturally and socially constructed. You see, by saying that no one religion could be right, by saying that no one religion could be true, you are actually positing, can I suggest to you, a pretty narrow, arrogant religious view. Because you are flying in the face of human history and world religions put all together. Once you get past the superficialities, world religions, as well as human history tells us, there are fundamental, enormous differences between all the religious faiths. So to say that no one religion could be right is actually a pretty exclusive claim. By denying creeds, you are pushing a new creed. By despising people who get dogmatic, you're being dogmatic. If you say the world would be a better place if everyone just dropped these old traditional religious views, well, my friend, you are insisting on your own modern religious view. A sociologist by the name of Peter Berger famously said, relativity relativizes itself. As long as you live and breathe in the Western relativistic education and culture, well, relativity relativizes itself. So it's not any more narrow and arrogant, may I propose, to claim that there's one way to truth, one way to God, one way to have God as your father, than it is for that character, the cartoon character, Homer Simpson, to cry aloud, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha. I love you all. Everyone makes exclusive claims. Everyone makes exclusive claims. You see, if you came into this room and said, well, there must be multiple ways, that's an exclusive claim. You're exclusive about multiplicity. You're exclusive about saying there can't be one way. There are other people who say, there's no way. No way, there's no God. And if there is a God, he's unattainable, unknowable, unreachable. That's an exclusive claim. And then there's other people who say, no, there's one way. There's one way. Because we believe in someone who claimed and showed that there's one way. Exclusive claims to truth or exclusive religious truth claims are unavoidable. So it really boils down to this question, which one is true? Who speaks truth? Why should I believe in that one religion? Who actually saves? 
You see, in this passage, John chapter 14, Jesus is not giving an argument, mind you. Here's the context. His disciples are very fearful, anxious, and troubled. They're wondering why Jesus keeps talking about he's going to go away, he's going to go away. And it turns around and gives them the answer. He says, in my father's house, there are many, many rooms. And one of those rooms is going to have your name reserved. It's going to have your name on it. And I'm going to go to my father. And then he unpacks in verse 6. The way to know God, my father, is only and exclusively through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. An older Christian author, John Stott, observed about the exclusivity of Christian religion in this way. This self-centeredness of the teaching of Jesus immediately sets him apart from all the other great religious teachers of the world. They were self-effacing. Jesus was self-advancing. They, other religious leaders, pointed men away from themselves saying, that is the truth so far as I perceive it. Follow that. Jesus said, I am the truth. Follow me. The founder of none of the other world religions ever dared to say such a thing. Everyone makes exclusive claims. There are people who say everyone is going to go to heaven. Everyone is a child of God because God is love. And then they just extend that beyond all other characteristics of God. Everyone is saved. That's called universalism. Then there are other people who say, you don't explicitly have to hear about or believe in Jesus to go to heaven. We call that inclusivism. As long as you're religiously pretty interested and pretty good, God's gonna take you as well. You don't explicitly have to hear about Jesus or believe in Jesus. We call that inclusivism. But my friend, I am not up here Sunday after Sunday, God is my witness, to give you an essay or my own thoughts and agenda. I never do that. My number one prayer is that I deliver to you as faithfully as I can what the scriptures tell us, what I find in this book. And repeatedly in this book, for instance, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Apostle Peter, when he preached one of the first Christian sermons, he declared to the whole world, salvation is found in nowhere else, save from what? Condemnation of our sins. Sin, self-destruction, eternal doom. Salvation is found in nowhere else but in Jesus Christ our Lord, who died upon a cross and resurrected. The scriptures continue to reveal to us that belief exclusively, explicitly in Jesus is how anyone gets salvation. You know, we were going through the Gospel of John before we launched into the summer series. We're going to come back to it this fall, starting in September. But let me just stay with the Gospel of John. I'm just going to read some verses for us. But this is where all the weight and the authority matters. And we have to pick the passages that answer this question directly. How can there be one true religion? We have to pick and weigh the appropriate passages proportionately. And here is John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then, perhaps one of the most famous verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just one more, and it's actually the theme of the Gospel of John, which is the reason why we picked it. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I only gave you three clear passages. There are numerous others that say explicitly belief in Jesus, belief in the name of Jesus, belief in the person and the work of Jesus is how we receive eternal life, and you will not perish or be condemned in your sins. Well, what about those who do not believe in Jesus? What of those who do not come to believe in Jesus as Savior and God? Once again, the scriptures are clear. John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him, Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Chapter 8, verse 24, just the last one on this note. What of those, what happens to those who do not believe in Jesus? Chapter 8, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. This is Jesus speaking directly. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now my friends, why? Why does it have to be this way? What? Why is Jesus Christ necessary and explicitly exclusive for anyone to be saved? Why is belief in Jesus necessary and exclusively effective for anyone to be saved from our own sins? Well, I'll tell you, God gives us a answer throughout the depth of the scriptures and I'll try to put it the best way that I can God's highest and main goal in his eternal life is not to depopulate hell hell is a realm of God's just punishment his just execution condemnation and punishment for your sins if you question why there's a hell love to answer that as well but if you've ever been traumatized, ever been victimized, ever been abused, you look at world history, you will at least half your heart tell me there needs to be a hell. The problem is that includes you and me apart from Jesus. But the scriptures tell us God's highest and grandest goal is not to just say, oh, I want less people to go to hell. Although, of course, God is very concerned about that. Because he gave up an infinite cost at giving up his own son. But do you know God may have a higher and grander goal? And I'll put it like this. God's greatest and highest goal is not to depopulate hell. It's to direct all glory and worship to his son, Christ Jesus. I'm not making that up. You know, in John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, when Jesus the son prayed to God the father, here's how he prayed, verse one. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Verse five. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
I'm sorry to tell you, my friends, God's highest and greatest goal is actually not about you. It's actually about his son, Christ Jesus. And his mission and highest passion in life is to redirect and gather all the honor and worship and glory of people scattered across the entire face of the universe throughout history to glorify Christ. This is why, this is why Jesus Christ alone can save. This is why Jesus Christ exclusively saves. Because God will not have you experience the benefits of salvation, go to heaven, have purpose and joy, and the power to forgive your enemies. God will not have you experience the benefits and the blessings of salvation without giving all proper glory to Christ the Son. You cannot be saved apart from glorifying Christ the Son. Because that's God's highest and eternal goal. You know, this is why in Revelation chapter 5, the angels, the living elders, and people scattered across all of human history are going to fall down on our faces and we are going to worship. And you're only going to like heaven because you like worshiping Jesus now. You only like heaven because you love Jesus now or else heaven's going to be hell. Because heaven's going to revolve around this imagery of a lamb. Jesus was the lamb who was slain. Jesus alone bled and died for sinners to be cleansed. Jesus went through hell so we can go to heaven. And at the center throne of heaven is all the people joining in a never-ending chorus, giving all glory and honor and worship to Christ, Christ Jesus. So my friends, the scriptures bear testimony that under heaven, there is no other name, no other savior, there's no other Lord, there's no other master, there's no one else that can save you because God's goal is that you would come to glorify and love Christ, his son. Now what I'd like to close with is that this exclusive truth claim, is that this exclusive belief in Jesus alone saves. How does that turn around though and make Christians more inclusive? Let me ask this again. You heard it right. How does exclusive belief in Jesus make people who believe that more inclusive? Should it? Well, first I believe that if I believe Jesus alone came to die for the sins of the world and only in him, the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to God the Father but through him, that makes me hopeful for everyone. That makes me hopeful for the world. You know, that one funny line from Dumb and Dumber, which is one of my all-time greatest movie quotes, Lloyd Christmas, when he's besotted by that beautiful woman, he wants to date her and he says, you know, what are the chances of a boy like you and a girl like me? See, he got the genders all reversed. And then he corrects himself. No, 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 I mean a girl like you and a boy like me. What are the chances we can ever get together? And she says, he's like one in a million. And he says, so you're saying I got a chance? with that goofy, dumb smile, the best haircut ever. Lloyd Christmas, you're saying I got a chance. You're saying I got a chance. Can I tell you, my friend, this morning, you know, I, I feel that's me, that's me. That's me when it comes to God. A holy, perfect God. God, tell me what chance do I got? 
And do you know what? I really do have a chance. Here's why. Only the Christian religion, only the Christian faith tells you you get right with God by his grace, not your goodness. Jesus came down to show and to say you get right with God. You can have access to God. You can know him. Not by how good you are, but by how good Jesus was as your substitute. You are saved by the works of another, not your own works. Now follow me with this, why that is so much more inclusive and hopeful. Because any works-based religion is about, are you better than other people? Did you do good, more, more good works than other people? Are you more moral? Are you more humble? Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you more law-abiding? Can I ask you a question? If you grew up really, really abused, you grew up hated on, what are the chances you can obey the command on your own to love everyone and love your enemies? You were nothing but hated. What are the chances you're gonna love? Here comes Jesus, here comes Jesus. Jesus says, Christianity is not a religion where you outperform other people. Christianity is a religion that comes to people who fail to perform before God. And they admit a need for a savior. Christianity is the only religion that comes to you and says, I came for you broken in need. That's hopeful for all. You see, it's inclusive. It's not the only good get to heaven and the bad go to hell. In Christian religion, the humble, those who need Christ as a savior go to heaven and those who don't need him, the proud are out. Here's a second. Second feature how exclusive belief in Jesus ought to make Christian people more inclusive. Here's second. Not only are you hopeful for everyone, but I believe it ought to create humility before everyone. Hopeful for everyone, but you also become more humble before everyone. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Our vision for this whole church plant here in Placentia for North OC is that you would be exposed to and come to believe in and experience life change through Jesus. But I very, very well know there's something else going on here. More than what you're hearing me say, most people today will not respond to Jesus except by the lives of Christian. Not just what we say, but do we preach what we, do we live out what we preach? You know, Gandhi was reported to have once observed, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Gandhi once again, I like your Christ, I like your Jesus, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. How can this be? How can this be a perennial eyesore throughout church history? I believe in the majority, there are Christians in name only. There are Christians in name only. And for all the frequently asked questions that we are gonna lob up there about Christianity, can I ask you a question this morning? For the top eight questions that the staff and I are gonna wrestle through to answer as best as we can from the scriptures, for all the FAQs about Christianity, can I ask you a Christian? Can I ask you a question? Are you a Christian? You knew that question was there. Are you a Christian? How can you tell? 
How can you tell? Here's how you can tell. I'm just gonna ask you a question, a different question, and just, just in your heart, try to analyze the movement or the answer that you say in your heart, okay? Here's the question. Do you believe that God sent his one and only son to die in your place to take away your sins? Do you believe that God the Father sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die in your place to take away your sins? And I'm afraid that there are some people who are gonna say, of course he did. Of course God did. Look at me. God should do that for me. Look at my life. Look at my resume. Look at how good I am with my family. Look how well it's going. You know, every good thing that's come my way, I deserve. Every bad thing is an anomaly. It's so unfair. It's horribly unfair. And if you answer that question that way, that you believe God sent his son to die for you and take away your sins because you're worthy of it, you see, because you deserve it, because you're relatively better than other people. Can I tell you, your answer has this self-assured, self-righteous spirit to it, and I'll call it, you have an and of course, and of courseness to your religion. You believe that God sent Jesus because you earned it. You should be chosen. You're like an applicant going to work and you're the best of the best. But I'll tell you, you know that answer in spirit, it'll never attract anyone else to come to Jesus. And in fact, can I tell you my friend this morning, it'll never work to actually save you. Then there's other people. Let me ask the same question. Let me ask the same question. Do you believe that God the Father sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die in your place and take away your sin? And then there's some people in this room who immediately in your heart, every time you hear that question, you say, I can't believe he'd do that. You're surprised by it. You're amazed by it. You're moved to wonder and thanks and love. One of my favorite old hymns, I'm not gonna sing because I wanna bless you. <laughs> Amazing love, how can it be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? Let me tell you something about that hymn, why it's so moving. Do you understand that it's all questions? Let me tell you something very true about Christians. Real Christians question how they became Christian. Real Christians question how and why God the Father would send his only son to die for a sinner like me. And for the rest of your life, it's a rehearsal for heaven. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Now, my friend, listen close. If you've rubbed up against Christian people who are not like Jesus, 
You're like Gandhi. He said, I've gone to church. I've met Christian people. Why are they the most snobby, self-righteous, judgmental people? Why? Why are they like that? I'll tell you why. They might be Christian in name only. Real Christians question how they can be Christian. And you know, I have the vantage point of seeing all your faces week by week by week, and I can't measure your heart motives, but it's almost crystal clear. Some are lost in wonder and praise. Some are just, you know, oh yeah, of course. Is there an of courseness to your religion, or is there a question of wonder? And if there is, if you question how you can become Christian, do you know what's going to die along with your old life, I'll tell you what's going to die. You are never going to think, you're never going to say, you're never going to smell, you're never going to feel, you're never going to act like you're better than anybody else. How can you? Superiority, judgment, self-righteousness, dies, crucified. Because I just can't believe God would die for me. Hopeful for everyone. Humble before everyone. Here's the third, and we'll close. You know, my friends, John 14, verse 6, and many other passages like this, ought to create trouble in our hearts. The passages that are so explicit about the exclusivity of Jesus alone as a Savior ought to cause inner turmoil, conflict, trouble. So that it'll drive you out and push you out to love. There will be enormous love to pursue one more for the gospel. I believe actually that's why these passages are there. These passages are designed to keep pumping in air into the lives of Christians. It's like a balloon. You just keep pumping in air there. But you pump in too much air and that balloon just gets tighter and tighter and bigger and there's all this trauma and tension and conflict and then it bursts. It's got to burst. Have you burst? Have you ever burst? Because if you're a Christian believer, you don't believe in relativity. The truth can't be just true for you. Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. Everyone else perishes without belief in him. How can that not drive out and burst the apathy and produce enormous love for those who have yet to believe? Hopeful for everyone, humble before everyone. But third, it should produce enormous love. Because God the Father did not send his son Christ Jesus to die so that people can come up with other ways to save themselves. Galatians chapter two, verse 21. You know, recently a senator, Bernie Sanders, questioned a potential deputy White House budget director by the name of Russell Vaught, who happens to be a Christian. And Bernie Sanders started off the questioning this way. Let me get to this issue that has bothered me and bothered many other people. You wrote, saying of Russell Vaught as a Christian in a former publication for his Christian school, you wrote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ as son and they stand condemned. Do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Russell Vaught, absolutely not, Senator. I am a Christian 
and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. That post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation, and he gets interrupted. He gets repeatedly interrupted by Bernie Sanders. I'll skip ahead towards the end of the questioning. Sanders again, irritated now with the raised voice, I understand you're a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just, I understand Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people of different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Once again, Russell Vaught, his response, thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. Sanders concludes, I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee is really not someone who this country is supposed to be about. Ironically, the very openness and dignity and respect that Senator Sanders asks of Russell Vaught, he does not offer to Christian believers who are seeking public office. Which, by the way, is unconstitutional to offer a religious litmus test. But Russell Vaught here, did he not express something so sweet and subversive in his careful and intelligent answer? Without backing off his belief that it's always been for Christians, Jesus exclusively saves, without backing down on that one wit, he added this one little line, didn't he? Quote, that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I ask us and challenge us myself. How can belief in an exclusive savior make Christian believers more inclusive? How can exclusivity make Christians more socially inclusive? I'll tell you how. Because if at the center of the Christian religion is a God-man who prayed for and loved and died for enemies, if that's what this religion is really all about, then Christian people have the greatest resources in Jesus to respect, dignify, love, forgive, make peace. I'll tell you how Jesus saved me, a wretched sinner like me. He didn't do it through polished arguments. He didn't just do it like an answer to this question. He didn't do it through apologetics. You know what he did? He just gave himself up in love. It was a self-sacrifice of love. And I have a suspicion that people like Bernie Sanders and my high school and the college alumni and your friends and coworkers and neighbors down the street here in North OC and throughout LA can really smell the difference when Christians are pushing a political agenda or when Christians are just after power and glory and fame, or when Christians are just doing a religious duty, or when Christians are just trying to prove that they're right. Oh, but they'll get stunned when Christians actually give themselves up in love. 
The reason why we go after one more person for the gospel, God is my witness. It's not because it's an agenda. It's not because for numerical growth. Oh, it's because it's God's heart. It's God's dream. Christian people ought to be able to love and respect all those who have yet to believe and may believe so differently right now. Because we believe in a God-man who died for enemies and we're saved by grace.